All right, we uh, have been working through a series called In Community, dealing uh, with connecting with each other. And a couple weeks ago, we talked on the subject of shame. And uh, we're going to continue on that topic by talking about uh, shame resilience. Can you hit the the next slide there? Is it stuck? Or did it freeze? Oh, okay. I have a feeling I put the wrong PowerPoint in there. I think this was two weeks ago. Can you open it in PowerPoint? I'm going to see if that's actually the right one. We got it. All right, we uh, have been talking about shame uh, because when it comes to actually connecting with with one another, uh, shame is one of those things in us that becomes a real barrier to connection Uh, because shame is that thing in us that says, you know, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I'm not beautiful enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not you know, talkative enough or whatever it might be. And those things cause us to tend to, to pull away from community. And uh, good relationships are all about giving love and receiving love. And so shame tends to, to cause us to put armor over our heart and actually block the flow of, of relationship. And, and uh, a lot of this stuff comes from Brene Brown. She's been really gifted by God in, in being able to study shame. Is probably the foremost expert in, in the topic of shame. And she defines it as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Again, it's that thing in us that says, you know, I'm, I can't receive love or I can't belong or I'm not worthy or it causes us to shrink back because of something we, we believe about our, ourselves. Next slide. And so we talked a couple of weeks ago uh, about the difference between guilt and shame because uh, sometimes we can get those mixed up. Uh, guilt is actually a really, really good thing, studies show. Uh, shame is a very, very bad thing. And guilt is about actions. Shame is about being wrong as a person. So guilt would say, you know, I'm sorry, I've made a mistake, or I've done something wrong. 
Shame is, I'm sorry, I am a mistake, or I have no value, or, for, or I am worthless. Um, you know, studies, all the studies show that shame does not change us. It always makes things worse. Uh, guilt, on the other hand, because if, when we just focus on our behavior, can actually move us forward because we have power sometimes over our behavior. But when it comes to shame at the core of our being, it will always drive us down. Next slide. And um, we did look at uh, the beginning of shame. Uh, it's from Genesis. And in the beginning, God never designed us to carry shame. We were never meant to live in shame. We were never, to, never meant to experience that shame. We see in the, the perfect world that God created, Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. And, and being naked in front of another person it, is, it tends to be one of the, the most vulnerable things we can do. It's one of the reasons why Jesus on the cross conquered our shame because he actually hung there naked on the cross in front of everybody and says he despised the shame. He took some of the most shameful things we could ever experience like being ridiculed and naked in public and, and he, he destroys it on the cross. But we were never meant to carry shame. And so God is always in the business of removing shame from our lives and removing shame from the community. And he was always trying to pull that shame out of us and replace it with love and with honor, as it says in Isaiah 61. Instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. And this is the business of God, that he's always trying to pull that shame out of you and replace it with love and with honor and with, with goodness. Next slide. Uh, and this is why shame is dangerous. As Brene Brown uh, says in her research, that shame is highly, highly correlated with addiction, depression, suicide, bullying, aggression, violence, eating disorders, shame and addiction are so intimately correlated that we don't know where one starts and the other begins. It's the perfect storm. And, and research shows that a lot of the, the junk that we struggle with is rooted in the, the, sometimes these core things we believe about this, ourselves and, and the shame that is in us that was never meant to be there. Because again, God created us to be living in no shame. And because of our own brokenness and the brokenness of others and, of course, you know, evil spirits whispering in our mind and, and all that junk, uh, we find ourselves with, with shame. Next slide. And so I want to talk about shame resilience today, and that is uh, dealing with shame. How do we begin to work through some of that shameful stuff that, that we might believe about ourselves? And... Um, the, the, we use the, frame, the, the phrase shame resilience, not freedom from shame, because it's pretty much impossible to be totally free from this. Uh, to be totally free from shame, at least in this life, <laughs> we hope in the life to come, of course, when God perfects us, we will be completely free from shame, and what a day that'll be. Uh, but we need to be shame resilient, because the enemy is to be constantly whispering in your ear, you're worthless, you're horrible, you can't do it, you're not good enough, you don't belong, no one's going to like you. And we need to, to be able to put on the armor to resist that. And there are words sometimes we say to ourselves or sometimes even hurtful from people in the community or our family or friends who will whisper shame into our being. So we can't be totally free from it, but we certainly can be resilient. And, and shame resilience is the ability to recognize shame to move through it constructively while maintaining a sense of God's loving presence and your own worthiness and authenticity. And so shame resilience is when shame comes your way through the enemy, through others, through yourself, that you're able to resist it, recognize it, and push it away. 
And um, the more you're able to do this, the more you can actually live kind of healthily in this world. Um, and, you know, I've had to learn this in many areas. I still am learning this in many areas. But, I mean, if I go back to, like, some of my early years as a pastor, I mean, I carried a lot of shame. Um, because I was never really into this, like, professional pastor thing, you know. And a lot of pastors can be very professional when I go to pastor's meetings in the suits and ties and, you know, very, you know, hello, brother, you know, bless you, and very spiritual. I just, that was never me. I mean, that can be other people. Sure, I'm not saying that's wrong. That was just never me. And, you know, they would, you know, talk about all this flowery, you know, this stuff. And it's just like, it's like, and, so, and I tried very hard to fit in. I could never quite fit in because I don't like suits and ties and, you know, this kind of looking professional kind of thing. Uh, and I would feel so much shame, like, I mean, I shouldn't be a pastor, and this is, this is really lame, and I can't do it, and I'm not like the, all these other people, and, and I had to learn shame resilience in terms of learning who God created me to be, and trying to live into that, and not trying to try to always be like somebody else, and so shame resilience it has a lot to do with seeing how God created you, and being authentic in that, and not always trying to stay, be like someone else. And we're going to talk about this next week because I want to do a message called Stay Awkward because um, <laughs> we're all different. <laughs> and the funny thing to, about community is this. We really, really want to fit in. And so what do we do? We really want to fit in. So to fit in, we try to be like those other people. And then we don't feel like we fit in because we're not being authentic. Hey, we want to fit in, so I want to fit in, so I got to be like you. And then we realize, why don't I feel loved and cared for? It's because you're actually not being you. You're trying to be someone else. So if you can just stay awkward and be you, it is really helpful to, uh, to build community. And that's what I love about this church, because we're all kind of awkward in different ways. And I think we try to live into that. Um, next slide. I mean, uh, Brene Brown in one of her books talks, uh, just another example of shame resilience, talks about a, a fellow who did one of our shame resilience workshops. And, um, and he was like second to the CEO of this company. And it was his job because the company was, is kind of going downhill was to, he, he had days of firing people. And uh, he spent the whole day letting people go and sitting down with these people and saying, you know, you're, you're not gonna have a job anymore. And at the end of the day, he was, he was in tears and he was crying. And the CEO walks in and looks at him and says, man up, we have a lot more to go. And, uh, and because he had, I mean, that's an easy way to experience shame, perhaps as a leader. It's like, oh, I'm not man enough and I should be more of a, a leader here and why am I crying? But he, he understood shame resilience. He understood that was a trigger. And so he responds to him and says, look, you know, I've went to these families' homes for meals and I went to their kids' soccer games. And, and if you're not going to let me cry when I have to let these people go, then maybe I'm not the right person for this job. And, uh, and he knew who he was and he stood in that. And a lot of shame resilience is just to know who you are in God. To stop pretending like you're someone else and not try to fit in to be someone else, but to actually be you and be authentic in that, to, to be in that, uh, to stay awkward. And so, uh, next slide. Uh, so we're going to talk about four things just briefly. Uh, first of all, know where you are prone to shame and what triggers it. Number two, know your identity. You are worthy of love and belonging. Number three, Reality check shame messages with who you really are in Christ. And four, speak about feelings of shame with safe people. And so, uh, first of all, next slide. Um, know where you are prone to shame and what triggers it. And sometimes we might be tempted to say, I don't have any shame. Uh, the reality is, everybody does. And research has shown this. 
Uh, we can talk about the one, two, three of shame, is that we all have it. Nobody wants to talk about it. And the less we talk about it, the more we actually have it. The more you're actually able to talk about shame is actually is one of the pathways to, to kind of pushing it away. And so, uh, next slide. So know where you're prone to shame. We are super dangerous in shame. Don was showing me a picture of a little bear that was in his yard. Uh, but imagine you, you come to an angry bear and, you, and you, you poke that bear really hard. I mean, it's a dangerous situation. And we are like, uh, you know, it pokes the bear in us when, when we are in shame. Because when we are feeling shame, it is incredibly painful. And we want to do anything to get rid of that pain and to run from that pain. So what we tend to do is either we want to judge somebody or we want to blame somebody or we get angry. We want to do anything to, to kind of dispose of that pain. We are very dangerous in shame. Again, uh, you know, aggression, violence, bullying, a lot of those things come from shame. In fact, the, the most shame-ridden people are um, actually some of the, the most dangerous criminals in prison. It's, it's a result of shame, and it causes you to act out and do stupid things. We're very dangerous in shame. And this is why we need to live into the, the love of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and allow His healing to touch those areas of shame in your life. Uh, next slide. Uh, it can be dangerous, and I think we all know this, this idea of a shame spiral. And this is why the, the more you're aware of what triggers your shame, the more you're aware of uh, where you're weak in shame, you can stop the spiral. And uh, as one, one person put it, this is just her example of a shame spiral. And we all know this, I'm sure. You know, you mess up. You know, I made a mistake. And then all of a sudden, wow, I'm a terrible human being. And I better run away from the situation. And all of a sudden, you're, everybody hates me and I hate me. And I should stay away from everybody. And then you're down to, I'm such a burden anyways. And there's no point. I'm always going to suck. And I'm worthless. And you just like, you just go down in this shame spiral until everything is miserable and you can't sense the presence of God anymore. And everything's just dark and horrible. But the more you recognize where you're prone to shame, you can catch this before the enemy takes that and, and shoves you down into the spiral or you take yourself down into the spiral. Next slide. And so, um, where are you prone to shame and what triggers? We talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, but here's just some questions you can ask yourself. Uh, what area of your life do you keep really, really quiet about? Uh, because we're shamed about our shame, we tend to be very, very quiet about that area and we don't want to share it. But this actually causes us to feel more alone and it tends to build more shame. Where are you quiet? Secondly, next slide. Uh, what area of your life are you constantly judging yourself in? Or where do you find yourself negatively judging others? And this is one of our responses to shame is that, that we tend to want to blame or judge someone else because if we can you know, find someone else who's doing worse than we are in, in, in that area, then, then we kind of like, look, they're doing worse so I feel better about myself. And, and you know, what area do you find yourself negatively judging other people in? And next slide. Number four. Where do you think would make you, uh, what do you think would make you more worthy of love and belonging? And so when you're feeling ashamed, you're like, I'm not worthy of love and belonging, or I gotta, I gotta push it away because of this thing in me. What would make you more worthy of love and belonging? That's probably an area of shame in your life. And a reminder, when it comes to God's love and God's presence, um, you know, sometimes we're like, if I just was, a better Christian, if I just read my Bible more, if I went to church more, if I prayed more, then, then God would, would love me more and I'd be more a part of his family. God loves you as you are. 
And this is a part of the healing part of shame, is to know who you are in, in Christ. Next slide. Uh, it's to know your identity and that you are worthy of love and belonging. And this is at the core of, of understanding the presence of God and his love for you. That you are worthy of love and belonging. And again, we've looked at this picture, but I want to drill this point into you because this is really at the core of this. We look at a baby and uh, we would say this baby is worthy of his or her parents' love. Or we would even say this baby is deserving of his or her parents' love. We would never say, oh, that baby's not worthy of his parents' love. And, you know, what a rotten human being. What a rotten child. I mean, no. <laughs> and God loves us far more than any parent. Uh, his love is far deeper than any parent. And because we are his children, and, and God's love is loud, we are worthy of God's love in the sense that we are created in his image and we uh, are, are valuable in his sight. And, and the more you understand this, the more it, it allows you to pull down those barriers between each other and God. Because if you're like, you know, I'm so unworthy of God's love and I suck and I can't do anything right, it, you will tend to find yourself distance from God. I mean, if you have a trouble experiencing the love of God in really lavish, deep ways, I can almost guarantee you somewhere in there you feel you're unworthy of his love and therefore are pushing it away. You know, I can't receive that full love because, you know, I'm such a rotten person inside. Or, you know, yeah, well, we're sinners, we mess up, but that, that's, well, our behavior's wrong, but at the core of our being, we are absolutely worthy of God's love. And to pull down that armor that kind of keeps us away, it's the same reason why we push ourselves away from each other. Because you know, if we believe we're not worthy of being a part of this church or belonging, that you maybe you're not the best Christian or whatever, it'll cause you to kind of pull away a little bit. Next slide. Uh, I want to look at uh, Luke chapter 15, because I think it's just a good example of this and might help us. This is the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, of course, is the son who, in essence, wished his father was dead because he... He wants his inheritance while he's still alive. And in that culture, that was like saying, I, would, I just want you dead so I get your money. And he does that. His father is gracious enough to give his son money. And the son goes off and, you know, he just kind of goes crazy and he runs out of money. And, you know, he's eating out of a pig trough. And finally he's like, I think I'm going to try going back home. And he says this. The son says, I will go home to my father. And the father in this story represents Father God. And say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. The son says often what we say when we mess up. God, I'm not worthy to be your son. And, you know, just, you know, I'm just, you just, I just want to be a servant because I'm not worthy to be a son or daughter. And we use this language like I'm not worthy to receive your love and receive your blessing. And how does God respond? Does God say, oh, exactly right. You know, you are unworthy of my love and you're just a, you're just a stupid servant. Is that what the father says? Next slide. So he returned to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and says, you are totally unworthy of my love. <laughs> get, get lost. Or you're unworthy of my love. And you've got to do 10 Hail Marys or whatever before you're worthy of my love. Or you've know, you got you to serve really hard before, before you're worthy of my love. Not, not at all what he says. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And if you understand the culture of this day, this was, this was crazy love because fathers didn't run in those cultures. They were the Stoic patriarchs and everybody had to come to them. And this is just a crazy picture of this, this son who was like, I'm so unworthy of love and belonging. And, you know, just make me this, a servant because, you know, I'm not, not worthy of it. And the father says, no, no, no. 
I'm going to run to you and lavish my love on you. And then, next slide, uh, the son goes back into his little depression. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, which, which he did. He did sin. But that doesn't affect his worthiness. But he goes back to this idea that I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Again, what's God, how does God respond? Well, of course you're not worthy. You're just, a, you're just my son, you know. Uh, you don't deserve my love. Or you don't belong to this family because look at what you did. And again, we often think like this son. Now, I'm not worthy of God's love or I'm not worthy of belonging in the family of God because, you know, I did something wrong. Like this, I mean, this guy wished his father dead. <laughs> and you know, the father's just lavishing this love on him. And so again, he says, I'm no longer worthy of being your called your son. And again, how does the father respond? Next slide. But his father said to his servants, quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, which would be the signet ring of the family, meaning he's got the authority of the father. And put sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with this feast, for this son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. I mean, God throws a party with him and reminds him, yes, you are a son. You have the same authority as me. He gives him the signet ring and he just elevates him. And that's what God does with our shame. When we're stuck in, I'm so unworthy and you know, no one loves me and God can't love me because I keep messing this up and I keep trying and, like, and then we're like, you know, we, we maybe experience God's love for a moment then we're like, oh, I'm so unworthy of that because the son recoils again when the father and then and God just keeps lifting us up. He's lifting us up. He keeps lifting us up until that shame begins to drain away. Next slide. And even if you think you are the worst Christian and the weakest person around, guess what? God lifts you up and says you're actually the most valuable. So what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. You see how this idea of Isaiah 61, God's going to replace your shame with the double portion of honor? That's this. And I'm the worst. I keep messing up. God says, well, actually, you're the most valuable in the house. Um, know who you are in God. Uh, continually just removing that armor, just receiving God's love and basking, and that will motivate you to move ahead. Again, I mean, research after research. You should read any of Brown's research. She's the fourth most expert. And she said, shame does not work. It makes things worse. And sometimes religion, sadly, can be in the shame business. <laughs> Shaming folks. And sometimes we may parent out of shame or treat others out of shame. It does not work. We need to get into the God business, the Jesus business, which is to always trying to remove shame from people and giving them a double portion of honor and lifting him up like the father of this prodigal son. When it's like, I'm so unworthy, I'm brought. No, no, no. I'm going to give you the signet. I'm so wrong, I'm so unworthy. No, no. We're going to throw a party for you and love you. This is the grace of God in action. Number three, next slide. And so uh, we want to reality check shame messages with who you really are in Christ. And yeah, we talk a lot about this here, but this is, is, is taking God's word as truth and taking those thoughts we have that Satan puts in there or we put in there or our parents have put in there and just saying, is, is that actually who I am in Christ? And so when we think that, you know, I'm not lovable, that we just are reminded that that. God the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. His love is perfect. Even if you think you're the worst or the least or the most miserable person, 
that is actually not the truth because God loves you just as he loves Jesus. It's a pure and perfect love or the idea of Ephesians 5.1, you are the children that God dearly loves. There's no brackets with qualifiers at the end of that. Next slide. Uh, or I'm not worthy of love and belonging. Again, we just saw this. <laughs> this, is what the, this is what the son thought. And the father says, hey, no, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for, we must celebrate with a feast. So let the party begin. I mean, God is saying, you're welcome in my home. I mean, the whole idea of communion, whenever you do communion, is that you're welcome at the table to sit with the father and the son and the Holy Spirit and enjoy their presence and saturate in their presence. You are worthy of love and belonging. Uh, next slide. Uh, this idea that I'm worthless. Ephesians 2 says, you're God's masterpiece. You can't put those two together. It's like, I'm, the, I'm a masterpiece, so I'm worthless. It's like, well, which one's right? Well, probably God. You are God's masterpiece, it says in Ephesians 2. Uh, next slide. Or, you know, God must be so disappointed in me. Again, there's this idea that, that you know, sometimes the church has taught, you know, this idea that God is always shaming us and, and you know, so angry at us all the time. And it's just not what the scripture talks about when you when you look at passages of love and goodness of god i mean and like over and over again and we've showed this so many times it just, it just says in the new testament that god will never put us to shame and so if you feel that god is shaming you that's just wrong it's just a lie from the enemy or a lie that somehow you got in you from like some religious background or something god will never put you to shame it says that three times in the new testament next slide or I can't do anything right. Again, I think we already did this one. Next slide. Um, okay, finally, number four. Uh, shame resilience is, and this is the hardest one, is to talk about feelings of shame. And uh, it's, it's, it's awkward because we feel shame and we think that if someone knew about my shame, then I would not want, uh, I'm not worthy of love and belonging. They would look down on me and they would look at me less and, you know, they would kind of push me out. Um... And sadly, you know, some places that's true. And sadly, sometimes that can be true in the church. And it's why, you know, a lot of times in churches, and I don't think we have that as much here, that a lot of people hide. Because if I talk about what I really struggle with, and they're not going to see me as a good enough Christian, or, you know, not going to fit in anymore, or they're going to judge me, and they're going to push me out and say, look at that person, they struggle with that, even though we all have our struggles. I mean, it can cause us to hide, but, but we work hard at trying to provide a safe environment no matter who you are, you can come in here and be you. And we all kind of journey towards God together. Um, but, but it can be hard because, but shame, it grows in silence and secrecy and, and self-judgment and judgment for others. And the more you're quiet about your shame, the more it can grow. And so again, this is understanding where your shame is and, uh, and, and talking about it more. And you know, one of the things I'm trying to talk about more is just this idea, like I have a lot of shame around you know, work. Um, it's just the way I grew up. Like, I constantly am busy and I'm always working and, you know, I can work lots. And, you know, if anybody has a sense that, you know, I'm lazy or not working hard enough or something, that it just creates shame in me. And I'm working on it to be able to talk about that more. Saying, hey, you know, I am actually kind of tired and <laughs> I do need a break or, you know. Um, but to, to recognize that and to speak it, there's something about speaking your shame that brings healing. And this is actually very, very biblical. Next slide. Because uh, we can actually look at James 5.16 in the sense of shame, where it says this, confess your sins to each other 
and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And we can look at this in different ways, but if we look at this in a shame perspective, is that when you confess your shame, there's this incredible healing that happens. When we are able to find those safe people and say, you know, I'm really struggling with this, and that's received with empathy rather than judgment. Uh, when it's received with empathy, there, there's a healing thing about this because all of a sudden you are like, I'm actually known and this person's still there for me and it just brings you into community because all of a sudden you feel the sense of love and belonging even though someone knows who you are. And that is at the core of true community is when you can be who you are and you can be vulnerable and speak of your shame and you're still loved and you still belong. And really at the core of the church, that, that's the church. You see, you know, Jesus, when he's hanging out with tax collectors and the sinners and these people who are probably very filled with shame, and Jesus wasn't running away from them and judging them. Uh, he's hanging out with them. It's the core of community when you can actually be who you really are. Next slide. Uh, but you need safe people. Uh, Matthew 7 says, Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. And we all know what this is like. And I've been there where I've shared something kind of vulnerable with the wrong person and they take that and they're like, do you know what Jesse did? They just totally judge you and think you're just the worst person because you know what the pastor did. I mean, you need to find safe people. And um, if you don't have safe people, uh, sometimes they're not around you. Sometimes you need to go talk to a safe spiritual leader or a therapist or someone who actually can hold stuff in confidence. Or uh, if you have those friends that seem to be trustworthy and always there and you've been telling them little things and, and there's eventually where you can start telling them maybe bigger things and if they hold that trust, it is so healing when you're able just to spe speak of those. There's healing in that. When you confess your sin or you confess your shame to each other and pray for each other and, and there's this healing when you feel loved even though you're not perfect. And that is because we're manifesting God in that moment who loves us even though we don't have everything together. And even though we're thinking we're unworthy and I don't belong, God is just lavishing love on us. Next slide. And I just want to read this again. Two more slides. We've looked at this, but I just want to read it again. Romans 9. The one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Anyone who believes in him will never be be put to shame. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And one last slide. In Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 1, we have peace with God. We already read that one. In 1 John 2, 12, your sins have been forgiven. In John 17, God, Jesus said, Father, you love them just as much as you love me. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to recognize those areas of shame. God, I know you want that armor to just fall off our hearts. Or we could just genuinely receive your love, God, without resisting it. God, that we would understand your truth, that you love us no matter what, no matter who we are, no matter what we've been through, no matter what we're struggling, that, that we are, because we're your children, God, we're worthy of your love and worthy of belonging to your family. And God, I pray you continue to grow us as a community, a place where we're able to be real with each other, and God, still be loved and welcomed. So we thank you in Jesus' name.
Amen.